starting to feel a little bit like spring, finally. That's a good thing. Well, let's uh, pray before we uh, get into our material this morning. Our gracious Father, we are uh, so thankful for our Savior who loved us and gave Himself for us. And we're thankful that He currently sits at Your right hand, exalted over all creation, and He intercedes on our behalf. He pleads for us. And we ask for Your help that we would be able to be strengthened through the power of Your Word, that we would understand Your desires for us and be able to do them. Through Your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We spent a couple weeks considering the ministry of the family. Um, We've seen that God intends to use family relationships, uh, including children, as a vital means of uh, of expressing these great truths about God, that is the Godhead, that... that, um, that there is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It also The family also helps for us to picture God's plan of salvation, that, that we are now adopted into the family of God. It also helps us to see what it lo- looks like to live among other believers in the church. We're often referred to as brothers and sisters. Maybe we even call each other that. Um, and, and that's completely appropriate because when we are one in Christ Jesus, we act ought to act as brothers and sisters and treat older women as mothers and older men as fathers and so on. Now, so, so we've looked at the ministry of the family. Now we want to see how do we minister to the family. And that is how, how has God designed for families to be built up? What is our responsibility to build up our our families? I'm sure most of you, if not all, have heard of the phrase family worship or the term family worship. If you've been in church for a long time, I'm sure you've heard it. But what do you think that means? What kind of idea does comes to your mind when you think of family worship? Okay, singing and praying as a family, right? Anything else? Okay, all right, and um, you know we can uh, sometimes family worship can look like, or, or maybe we think of it like a little church. You know, like this is our little church, our little worship service. Um, but before we get into what that is and what that ought to be, um, we need to think about first what is worship. What is worship? We we think we tend to think of worship when there's some sort of organized gathering of believers. And there is a special sense in which worship does include that, where we as a church body gather together to sing praises to God, to listen to God speak through His Word, and to, um, and to give to Him, and so on. Okay, So that's, that is one element of worship. But when Paul talks about worship, he talks about it more in terms of service. Particularly in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, a very familiar verse, to you, and that is that that we offer our bodies as what, as a living sacrifice, a holy which is wholly acceptable unto God, and is our spiritual service of worship. This is our act of worship to you, God. Our act of devotion to you, the way that we show that we follow you, love you, serve you, is by giving ourselves in. In fact, some translations put it 
spiritual act of service. This is how we serve you. So this is one of the ways that Paul looks at worship. So what we want to see is, what does the Bible have to say about family worship? What does the Bible have to say about family worship? And that's why we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, because I think we can draw out from here some principles from the people of Israel and how they handled uh, this sort of responsibility. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God, uh, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God here is speaking to us through his servant Moses the author of this uh, this book here, Deuteronomy. And he's telling us that God commanded the people of Israel, including their children, to serve Him, to worship Him by humbling themselves and and basically acknowledging His greatness before Him. Do you see the command of worship here in the first two verses? Okay, this is a commandment, verse 1. The statutes, judgments which the Lord has commanded to teach you, that you might do them. Verse 2, why? So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord. That is, that you might worship Him in reverent awe. Okay, that's the idea there. So here we have a commandment early on in the Scriptures for us to train up our children in a way that, that would lead them to serve or to worship God. And... Uh, Further, he gets on, you know, the, the famous verse 4 that the Jews often recite, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. And then verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God. Here's what we're trying to lead our children to do. We want to teach them to love God. We want to show them the joy of loving God. And um, but, but Moses doesn't stop there. Look, that verses 6 through 9, we learn here that God's will for His people is that they and their children worship Him. In verse 6, the words which I commanded, the commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then it tells how we ought to teach them. So the words of God, we want to ingrain or uh, impose the words of God upon our children so that they see these things. So we serve God through our worship of God. And this is something that we ought to be taking a part in. This is something that we ought to be leading our children to do. I mean, are, is your family in a position where they love the Lord, their God, with all of their heart and all of their soul and all their mind, with everything, every fiber of their being? That's just another way to say it. 
Okay, we don't need to think too um, critically about the, those words, heart, soul, and mind. Okay, what part of my body is that that I need to love God with? The idea is every part of who you are. Do, do you love God that way? Do your, does your family love God? And if not, then we need to continue in, uh, even if you do, uh, you need to continue in, in training your children to do that. And so this is the scriptural foundation that I think uh, really is laid here in Deuteronomy and then spreads out throughout the rest of the Scripture and, uh, and is built upon. And that is this, that ministry to the family is heart-centered ministry. Okay, look again at verse 5. You shall love the Lord with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It is, we ought to be getting at the hearts of our children, the hearts of our families, God's Word clearly teaches that teaches us that raising moral children is not enough. Raising moral children is not the same thing as raising believing children or Christian children or worshiping children. You see, because we can, we can um, get our children to a place where they outwardly conform. Do you know what I mean by that? Where they're able to obey all the rules and they can look real prim and proper when it comes to spiritual things, but in their hearts, they're wicked. Okay, And that's not what we're looking for. We're not looking for people who are all, all sparkling on the outside, and then inside they are like tombs. You know, they're like tombs. They're full of dead men's bones. Instead, what we want to see is people, children, our whole families, who are worshiping God from their hearts, And then the outside changes. So we're not looking for outward conformity. We're not looking for moralism. Okay, Teach them a lot of things that are right and wrong and get them to do right and wrong. Uh, But rather, we're trying to to get to their heart. And the only way that can happen, by the way, is uh, we're going to talk about a specific way that it happens. But it happens as the Word of God is impressed upon them. And they, they are actually changed by the Spirit of God. And that they are continually... Um, uh, poured over with the Scriptures or, or, or showered with the Scriptures. It's not something that we can force on them. It's something that God does. But we obviously have a part because Moses is telling us by the authority of God, we ought to be teaching our families to worship. All right? So, the first thing that we want to look at with regard to this, if heart-centered ministry is what we're aiming at, if that's our goal, then what we need to see is is that family worship requires daily teaching. Family worship requires daily teaching. So, the scriptures here say that we ought to um, we ought to teach them. We ought to command them to do these things. Verse 7, notice, you shall teach them, or as another translation says, you shall impress upon them diligently. Okay, We're to teach them the things of God diligently. And this makes sense because if we want kids who are changed, if we want our family who has changed from their hearts, then they need to have hearts that are directed by or governed by faith. Right? They need to be faith-filled people in our family. And where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. 
Okay, so this is what we're what I'm suggesting here. Family worship requires daily teaching. Um, and this is not just something you know. You know, if you have free time, be good to to lead your family in worship. No, this is a 24/7 responsibility, morning and evening. Did you notice in the text that it is verse? Um, Let's see, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk to them. When you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, do you see how that includes, encompasses not just one specific time every day where I formally sit them down and say, all right, let's talk about God. But it is from the time that they wake up in the morning to the time that they go to bed, we're impressing upon them the Word of God because the Word of God brings faith. That's what we want. We want our kids who have hearts of faith. And so this requires that we are doing this inside and outside of the home. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, you see, it also requires both active and, we could say, passive teaching. Active is we're trying to impress it upon their heart. Passive is maybe the doorposts. You know, you're putting things on the doorposts, on the frontals of their foreheads, that sort of thing. Okay, that, that it's it it's both includes, and we're going to talk about both of these aspects, both a formal instruction and an informal instruction. We want to see them taught formally where we sit down and say, all right, let's talk about God. That's a good thing. But also informally, when something pops up on the television or some issue comes up at school or or in in in, in the neighborhood or whatever, then this is an opportunity for us to teach them about the things of God. Now, in order for our kids to be taught the things of God, does there have to be some sort of formal worship within the home? Does there have to be some sort of formal instruction? Well, not necessarily, but there should be times of formal teaching. All right, and we're going to talk about, we're going to look back into some church history um, just to kind of see that this is um, this is not a new thing. This is not something that, you know, it's just coming up and a little faddish type thing. What I want you to understand, there's no explicit biblical command to have a formal worship service within a family. In fact, some, sometimes what families can do is they can go a little bit too far and they say, well, since it's my responsibility here in Deuteronomy 6 to train up my children to worship and to serve God, then I'm going to make my church my home. Okay, so... We'll just abandon the church completely and we'll just make it, you know, kind of like our little home thing. And perhaps you know of families that have done that, that have gone to that extreme. I would suggest to you that they're living in sin. That they've gone a little bit too far because they've abandoned God's primary institution for training up people for the service of Christ. And that is the local church. Um, and... And the fact that they're concerned about their family, they want to see their family worship, should should mean that they want to see their children in church. Okay, because that's that's where God. And I'm not going to get into all that the the um, the proofs for why we need to be in church, but but I, I have spoken about those in other areas. Okay, so although there it's not required that we have a formal time of worship in our home, that is formal instruction. For our children, it is strongly suggested in the way that this passage is laid out, and it's a good way that that we can impress upon our children the things of God. Professor Don Whitney wrote a a little book, um, 
It's a little booklet, actually. It's it's about 60-some pages. It's called Family Worship. It's on the back of your handout. Family Worship in the Bible, in history, and in your home. And so I'm going to rely heavily on his um, his understanding. What he's tried to do is look in the Scriptures to see what it looks like to worship within the family, what it's looked like uh, from the Bible, what it looks like in church history, and then what it ought to look like in the home. And, and he's got some pretty helpful observations. And here's how he puts it. He says, bringing up children in the discipline and, dis- and instruction of the Lord is not accomplished, listen, unintentionally and incidentally, okay, as if we don't have any plan. It doesn't just happen. Yes, it should and will happen throughout the day at unplanned occasions, but it should also happen purposefully without some regularity and without some structure and without some purpose. It is one of those things that we assume that we are doing, but we never actually do. See, but consistent, father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily measurable ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. This is what Whitney says. And he, he shows that Christians have long agreed on this point. And this is what I have here on the screen. Christian history shows the high values believers have con- consistently placed on formal family worship. The first generations of Christians consistently worshipped together. He goes on to write, At any early, any early hour in the morning, the family was assembled. This is the first century churches, uh, or the first century families who were believing. At any early hour in the morning, the family was assembled and a portion of Scripture was read from the Old Testament and that that was followed by a hymn and prayer. In the evening, before retiring to bed, the family again assembled the same form with the only difference that um, the service was considerably protracted beyond the period which could be conveniently allotted to it in the commencement of the day. Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther said that even with all of his responsibilities as a professor and a, and a you know, pastor uh, of a church, he also said that, it was, um, that he had the responsibility to lead his own family. He didn't want to, to pass up on that responsibility. Matthew Henry wrote, If our houses be houses of the Lord, we shall for that reason love home, reckoning our daily devotion the sweetest of our daily delights, and our family worship the most valuable valuable of our daily comforts. Um, and, and he goes on to say that, that this is where Reformation must begin. Spurgeon uh, wrote, If we want to bring up a godly family, who shall be a seed to serve God when our heads are under the clods of the valley. Let us train them up in the fear of God by meeting together as a family for worship. And then he, he summarizes, Spurgeon does, he says, I trust there are none here present, this is him speaking to his church, who profess to be followers of Christ, who do not also practice prayer in their families. That is, they don't get together formally and pray with their families. He says, if you're, if you're a professing believer, this is something you ought to be doing. Now, he says, we have no positive command for it, but we believe that it is so much in accord with the genius, genius and spirit of the gospel and that it is so commended by the example of the saints that to neglect to meet with families is a strange inconsistency. And so the point he's making, I think, is a good one, is that we ought not to be legalistic about it, that if you're a Christian, you have to do this, but... But he is suggesting that why are we not doing that? 
You know, why why would we want to ignore something that that believers in Deuteronomy and and throughout church history were practicing? All right, so these quotations really serve as um, some help for us to see why it's important. Now we want to see what it might look like if we were to have family worship. What would it, what it might it look like? All right. Spurgeon wrote that I agree with Matthew Henry when he says that they that pray in the family do well, and they that pray in the, and read the Scriptures do better, but they that pray and read and sing, they do best of all. And um, and so this three part um, this three part instruction was often used in the homes of various people throughout church history. Listen to one visitor of Spurgeon's home during a time of family worship. The person says, "One of the most helpful hours of my visit was the hour of family prayer. At six o'clock." All of Spurgeon's household gathered into the study for worship. Usually, Mr. Spurgeon would himself lead the devotions. The portion read was invariably accompanied with exposition, that is, explanation. How amazingly helpful those homely and gracious comments were. I remember especially his reading of the 24th chapter of Luke. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. How sweetly he talked about having Jesus with us wherever we go. Not only to have Him draw near at special seasons, but to go with us, whatever labor we undertake. Then how full of tender pleading, of serene confidence in God, of world-embracing sympathy were His prayers. His public prayers were an inspiration and a benediction, but His prayers with His family were even more wonderful still, this observer said. Mr. Spurgeon then bowed before God in family prayer and he appeared to be a grander man even than when holding thousands spellbound by his sermons. There was something special about about Spurgeon and his connection with his family through his, his prayers. And let's just say, though, hypothetically, that you're not Spurgeon. Okay, No one of us is, right? So what do we do then? If we're not the prince of preachers, how are we supposed to lead our family in worship. And I would suggest to you these three things that Spurgeon su- suggested, these three elements of family worship that ought to be a part of our time together, our formal time. Okay, so this is the formal aspect. We're going to talk about the informal, but this is the formal aspect. First, we ought to read the Bible, right? What was the thing that we wanted to impress upon their heart? We wanted to impress upon their heart the Word of God, His commandments, His laws, what He wanted us to do. If we want to see faith coming out from their heart and and being shown out in their life, then it has to come from hearing the Word of God. So this is essential to our formal time of family devotion. Um, Now, obviously, this is going to look differently based on the age of your children. Um, You know, we've done, in, in the past, we've done some different studies through some books. Uh, I've taken, you know, the the scripture reading for the day. This is just something very simply that you could use in your family. And even if you don't have kids, you could use it with your wife. This is a, our Bible reading schedule that we use at our church. I hope you're using as well. And we just read through two chapters a day. And since you're already reading those on your own time, wouldn't it be helpful when you sit down with your family to just read through one of those or one section of that. You know, right now we're going through Proverbs and and um, where are we at now here? Colossians. 
We're on 1 Thessalonians 4 this morning. Okay, So you could read through that chapter or you could read through a section of Proverbs and, and then talk about it. Okay, You've already thought about it. You've already read some of it. You don't have to come up with some sermon on it. You don't have to come up with some long one-hour explanation of it. Just talk about some things that have impressed you and then ask your children or your wife or your spouse to do the same. Um, you know, maybe uh, starting out with a verse from Psalm 119 to show the importance of the Word of God would be helpful. Okay, lots of practical ways that we can uh, be helping our family to impress upon them the Word of God. This is a great responsibility that we have. Secondly, pray. Okay, this is the second element that Spurgeon recommended, that Matthew Henry recommended first, but um, teach your kids how to pray. And one of the best ways you can teach your children how to pray is to teach them to pray based on the Scripture that they just read. Okay, so let's take, for example, that our section of Scripture that we're reading with our family is Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's talking about the commandments of God and impressing upon our family. Now we can just teach them that God wants us to be impressed. God, We know that you want us to be impressed with your Word. So help us to to be willing to accept your word. Help us to see you as, verse 4, that you are one Lord. You know, have your Bible open when you pray. This is a great way for us to pray and to say God's thoughts after Him. Pray from the Scriptures. Your kids ought to see this modeled in you. Your, your, your spouse ought to see this modeled in you. And then do it. And then give them opportunity to do the same if they are believers. And then, uh, you know, beyond that, you can ask them to pray for specific requests. What kind of things are burdening your family? What kind of things are burdening your church? What kind of things are, you know, burdening your, burdening your extended family or jobs or opportunities for witness? This is a great time to bring those up and, and to pray with your family. After Spurgeon died, his wife described their evening together with their twin boys. This is... Um, when they would use when they used to meet, she said after the meal was over, an adjournment was made to the study for family worship, and it was at these seasons that my beloved my beloved's prayers that is Charles Spurgeon, his prayers were remarkable for their tender childlikeness, their spiritual wisdom, and their intense devotion. He seemed to come as near to God as a little child to a loving father. And we were often moved to tears as he talked thus face to face with the Lord. Okay, so here's an encouragement for you. Let your children see your genuine love for God. Obviously, that there's an implication there that you actually have to genuinely love God. So work on your relationship, but don't wait until you're you know, perfectly in line with all of God's ways. We're never going to be there in this lifetime. So start doing what is right. And, and enjoy the benefits of seeing your family grow as a result of it. And then lastly, uh, the last element of our time together, formal instruction should be singing. If you don't have a hymn book at your house, then I would encourage you to, to buy one and uh, you know, keep some song sheets that, that are handed out um, even here at church, if you want us to make copies, we'd be happy to do that of, of some of these song sheets that we have that are public domain. Um, I can also refer you to some websites that have uh, some free songs that you could print out and pass out to your family and allow them to, to sing.
the the key to family worship, the key to this formal instruction really is, um, and this is what Whitney suggests in his little booklet, he says, brevity, regularity, and flexibility. Brevity, regularity, and flexibility. And I can tell you that um, the times when our family has done this, it's been a sweet time uh, of of encouragement for me. It helps me to start to see some of the issues that my children are facing in a clearer way. And I have to admit that that it's very hard to keep consistent with this sort of thing. But but I I think that there is some great value in in training our, up our family in this way. And so he suggests brevity. That is. Don't make it like two hours long. You know, our days are already filled with lots of things. Not that God is unimportant and understanding Him is unimportant. But if we keep it brief, then we'll be able to continue to do it more often. Then he says, secondly, make, be, be regular. You know, make sure that you're doing it at regular times, that people understand in your family that, that you're planning to do this. And then be flexible because there's going to be times where you simply can't do it for one re- reason or another. Any questions on formal, formal daily teaching? Brevity short. Keep it short. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, some conversations are going to lead into some longer talks, but if you make every single one, my 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 observation, if you make every single one an hour or two hours then it's going to get difficult to continue to do that every day. So, yeah, Vicki? Oh, I would just say, um, you know, when we've done it and it's been helpful, I think it's probably 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes it extends longer than that with some questions that come up or, or, um, or some conversations, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't want to put a hard number on that, though, because it's going to be differ based on family and circumstances. All right, so there's one form of training. Okay, This is the impressing upon their heart. This is the formal, intentional. Okay, not that this other one's going to be unintentional, but here's another one that ought to be happening all the time. This is the 24-7 I was talking about. From the time that they they wake up in the morning to the time they go to bed, there are opportunities for us to show them the glory of God. The greatness of God, you know, as we're walking down the street or as we're seeing some event come up. This is the informal training that ought to be happening. And this will cultivate a heart of love within them, a heart of faith. Um, let's read verses 7 through 9 again, because I want to show you that, that this um, principle really comes from God, from His Word. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so we can take a number of lessons from this passage about teaching our children informally, but I just want to highlight three. Number one, God's Word must be a constant subject of conversation. It must be a constant subject of conversation. We need to teach our children to love God, to be worshipers of God, to have genuine faith. And if that's going to happen, we need to be doing it all the time, wherever we are. 
And this means that we can't delegate the teaching of our children to the church primarily. Okay, that is, okay, well, they go to church, so they should be fine. We need to take time with them ourselves. We can't delegate it to the Christian school, that sort of thing. Okay, it is our privilege as parents and our responsibility to impress upon them the Word of God. And so this is going to come up when we talk about activities and maybe books that they've read, people from their school, even some mundane chores that they have to do. This is opportunity for us to show them the value of serving God and of knowing God. Jesus was continually teaching His disciples every day throughout the circumstances of life. Yes, He did take formal times of instruction to teach His disciples, but did you notice He also did it? Just when that came, you know, things that came up, you know, like with, with the um, the tree that that wilted or the the tower that had fallen, or, you know, he used opportunities like when when the woman was drawing water from a well to teach someone. Uh, he's just turning every single opportunity that he can into an opportunity to talk about God, not in an awkward way, but in a helpful way to help people see that the most important thing is. God and serving Him. And Paul Tripp, he he, um, writes a book on parenting and actually does a really helpful seminar. I think I've got a a DVD series that you're welcome to borrow out there. It's like four or five CDs, 45 minutes each. And he, this is the guy I'm talking about, Paul Tripp. He basically talks about uh, how we raise up children in a godly way. It's really helpful. Um, But he says that when you're going through life, you ought to be able to take almost any illustration or thing that's happening and turn it into a conversation about God. He uses one illustration on the DVD about um, about yeast. He's standing at the kitchen and he's putting together some bread to make and he, he, he starts to think about yeast so that you just let it out there and it starts to rise. And he uses that to talk about uh, the, the vast and great power of God, that He can take something so small and, and cause it to do something, that God would have the power to, to be able to, to make that happen. And He says, you should be able to go from yeast to God and back again at, at a moment. That's part of our responsibility or, or part of the way that we can help our kids in this way, to talk about, them, talk about God constantly and about His Word. Secondly, it's not easy to keep God's Word as a constant subject of conversation, so use visible reminders. Isn't it amazing that here in the early times of believing life of, the Israel, uh, of Israel here, God's Word is physically put up within their, within their tents. God knew that His Word had, had competition in their lives and that having physical or visible reminders will be helpful for them. You know, maybe verses on the bathroom mirror or maybe, a, you know, a, a verse that's helpful um, that's po- po- posted on your wall somewhere. Um, maybe some some helpful songs that are that are being taught as you drive from place to place to your family. Um, you know, just just visible reminders that that God is glorious and worthy of all of our service, all of our worship. Number three, if God's word is to be a constant subject of conversation, then we need to be together. 
Okay, we can't be teaching people about God if we're not actually with them. Okay, so we actually have to be together. And here's a challenge, especially for us uh, who are fathers or husbands. Okay, maybe you don't have kids, but but for husbands, do you know? Do you want to know what God's desire is for your job? Can can you take this job and me, meaningfully live out the spirit of these verses that you ought to be together? Notice again, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, you're together with them. When you walk by the way, you're together. When you lie down, when you rise up, you're together. Okay? Can, can you meaningfully obey or, or follow the principle of this, this text of Scripture if you're constantly away from your family? So I just encourage you, you know, I'm not suggesting that you can never travel for your job or you can never travel for anything when you're not with your family. But what I am suggesting is if your job has gotten in the way of you being able to fulfill this responsibility, then you might want to rethink your job. As for mothers, this can also be a challenge for you because you tend to be uh, busy all the time at home, right? And it's easy to be taking care of a lot of business without focusing on spiritual business that needs to be taking place in your home. So it's kind of like the Martha and Mary syndrome. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10 when Martha is doing all of the work. She's getting ready this big feast for Jesus and His disciples. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting at His feet. And she comes to Jesus, Martha does, and says, Jesus, Will you please tell Mary to come and help me? I'm doing all the work. I'm doing all the service. Do you remember what Jesus' response was to her? What was it? The one needful thing has been chosen by Mary, and I'm not going to stop her from doing that. Okay, mothers, wives, you may be busy with things that are going around on with your home all the time, and you can be busy doing a lot of things that are even service-oriented. But don't forget your responsibility with regard to the spiritual things to feed your own soul with the Word of God and to feed your children and the rest of your family with the Word of God. And this should help us also to set priorities in our families with regard to what our kids do. Um, Sometimes, you know, especially in our day, we can get them so busy. If you know, if you know someone who's kind of like the average mom, it's just she's just everywhere all day long, picking up from school, going from one place to another, just the soccer mom type mentality, and and she doesn't have time to um, to give them formal or informal instruction because they're never home, and so uh, might need to rearrange some of the priorities there. Um, so there's lots of practical ways that we can do this and we can informally teach our children where we're not, you know, sitting them down, opening up the Bible, but we are talking about them. Um, we're talking about them throughout the day. All right. Any, any questions on that? Comments? Bill? Yeah. Can you give an example? Well, 
Yeah. But I believe by faith it was created like God said it was. Yeah. Uh, that's all you've got to say about that. Says, yeah. You know, a hundred years from now I'll find out if he wants to tell me, but now I'm going to have proof. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the point is, I mean, maybe even that that series, that mini series that's been on TV, you know, lots of people could be talking about the Bible on the History Channel and not actually know what the purpose of that is. And, um, so, um, yeah, I, th- I I understand your point. I think that that makes sense. We can talk about things about the Bible without actually talking about God's Word, about what God desires. We can talk about subjects, in other words, about the Bible without actually talking about the intention or the significance of the Word of God. All right, well, one final point here, and, and that is that if we are going to impress these things upon our children, it doesn't happen without our own radical change. It doesn't happen without our own radical change. So we've talked about formal and informal worship, but we're still missing one thing, and this actually kind of uh, undergirds our ability to be able to do this, and that is that we ourselves have been changed and are being changed. Okay. Now when I say are being changed, I'm not saying, okay, we've turned to Christ and we've followed Him and now we're changed and we're turning away. No, I'm saying that we've turned to Christ, but because of our situation in the world, we're constantly being turned away from Him and so we need this constant changing to turn back to Him. That that uh, you know, Second uh, Corinthians three eighteen that we are transformed by the Holy Spirit so that we can move from one level of glory to the next. Maybe we are one you know one degree closer than we were, but what the Holy Spirit is doing, He keeps moving us closer and closer where we ought to be with regard to obedience to the Word. That's what success really is. It is obedience to God's Word. It's understanding, knowing, and obeying God's Word. That's what God wants of us. Notice verse 6. This is where we find this principle that requires our own radical change. These words which I am commanding you today, that is to teach them to your children, shall be on your heart. They have to be impressed upon your heart before you're going to actually pass them on to your own family. And what a great example we have in Second Timothy of young Timothy, who had this sincere faith that we now know about because of Second Timothy chapter 3, where Paul said, you know, from childhood you have been acquainted with, uh, acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Well, why was that? Well, we go back to Second Timothy 1.5 and we find out that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were instrumental in teaching him the Word of God of, of practicing this very principle that we're learning here in Deuteronomy 6 to impress upon our children both in a formal and an informal way. Did it mean that little Timothy would come and have stories read to him from the Scriptures or maybe told to him? Did it, did it mean that little Timothy was memorizing Scripture or even doing some catechisms? We don't know exactly, but what we do know is that it stuck with him. It actually impressed upon his heart what was impressed upon his mother and grandmother's heart. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe you don't have that ideal situation where you have 
you know, a believing spouse. But I want this to be an encouragement to you because Eunice apparently had an unbelieving spouse as well. And so um, we can we can um, take encouragement from the fact that that uh, God uses even just one believing spouse to help our children to grow in their passion and love for God when they see that it is genuine. Christians, there there is no faking it when it comes to the spiritual life. If you fake it, what you're going to produce is perhaps good children, perhaps children who are conformed to the rules. They're doing all the things that are right on the outside. But if you are faking it, you're probably not going to see a transformed heart. They need to see it in you. They need to see an example in you. Paul Tripp says this, We should be like sponges. When our children bump into us, they ought to get wet with a love and a passion for the glory of God. That's the way we ought to be. It ought to be so much a part of who we are because we've soaked in the Word of God ourselves that when someone bumps into our us, our, our family, it's just like they understand, they see that we love God and they're drenched in the the, the greatness of God. And uh, so it should not have to be something that we forced. I mean, at times, because of our sin and our reluctance to do these things, it, it sometimes has to be forced. But but um, but it should be such a passion of us that it just overflows. All right. Any questions or comments? What we talked about today. Next week we're going to look at. Um, let's see if I got your, all your blanks. Sorry about that. Um, teaching God's Word daily is only truly done when God's Word is already overflowing. Okay, So this is a sponge idea. And then next week we're going to look at what every kid must learn, what every kid ought to learn, and we're going to look at some uh, principles that we can learn from the book of Proverbs. I know my pastor growing up used to take his sons through the Proverbs and they would just read a section or maybe only a few Proverbs a day and then talk about them. All right, what does this mean for us? And the great thing about the Proverbs, as we will see next week, is they're very practical to what we're actually doing today. Things that come up in school, things that come up in life, in the news, in church, and so on. And uh, so it's a helpful way to teach kids the greatness and the wisdom of God. All right, let's pray. Thank you for your attention. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we have had examples of people who were just drenched with the love of God on their hearts. They were sponges that when we bumped into them, when we talked to them, it just overflowed. And uh, we want to be like that to people in this church. We want to be like that to our own families. We, You know that there is a war going on within us because our flesh is desiring to sin and often does. And yet the Spirit of God who lives in us is desiring that we would live in righteousness and You are changing us daily through our understanding and our obedience to Your Word. Help us, we pray, in this. Help us to be radically changed ourselves, and that we are being radically changed constantly and that we're helping people to see the, the, great, the greatness of You and of Your glory. Pray that it would not be plastic or fake, but that it would be real and that we would own up to our sins when we have sinned even to our own families. Humble us before You. Search our hearts. Help us to know what You want for us and how to do it. And give us encouragement to follow You, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.